Hey, everybody. My name is uh, my name's Josh. I'm the, I'm the student pastor here at Genesis. And this morning I get to kick off a brand new series with you guys. And we're going to look at the story of Jonah. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Jonah. Jonah is one of the small prophets. It's a four-chapter book. It's in the back of the Old Testament. So it's about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. There's no shame in using the table of contents here. It's easy to miss. Uh, it's in front. It's after Obadiah, and it's in front of Micah. But while you're, you're headed there, I kind of want to go over um, kind of a few ground rules, a few things uh, about this series that we're going to be going through, just so we're all on the same page as we go forward. There's a good chance that you probably know something about Jonah. You, maybe you heard it in Sunday school, or, or maybe even though you don't have a lot of experience with the Bible, you know the story, you're familiar with it. Maybe you've seen uh, uh, Pinocchio, and if you have, there's some similarities there. But Jonah is a story where we kind of get hung up on some of the details. We kind of get hung up on some of the how did this happen kind of questions. And those are good questions, and those are fine, but those aren't really the questions that we're going to be addressing in this series. And so all that stuff that you probably know about Jonah, we're probably not going to talk about it. And so just so you know ahead of time, that, that's kind of where we're headed. But like I said, sometimes we get so focused on the details, we get so focused on how did this exactly happen, that we miss the greater picture. We miss the greater part of the story that God, I believe, is inviting us into. And I heard a story the other day that kind of illustrated this. There were these, uh, these two pastors who were, who were, who were friends. They had gone to college together. They had gone to the seminary together. And somewhere along the line of, of their early friendship, they developed an argument. And, and this is very rare because Christians very rarely argue with one another, but these two pastors argued with one another. And they were arguing over the meaning of the Scriptures. And so for 20 years, these guys argued. They went back and forth about this. They would write books about one, one their side of the story. They would, they would give talks at conferences and sermons on Sunday mornings, all about their whole perspective about the Scriptures. For 20 long years, this argument went on. And for 20 long years, neither one ever gave up an inch. Well, God is incredibly patient, as we all know, but God even reached his limit with these two. And after 20 years, God says, I've had it. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to resolve this argument once and for all. So God parts the clouds and goes down and sure enough finds these two guys arguing once again. And God says, stop. Listen, I'm going to tell you exactly what your argument is all about. I'm going to tell you exactly the answer you guys have been fighting over for 20 years. And in a rare moment of unity, the two pastors look at God and look at him and say, who are you to tell us what to believe? Sometimes we get so focused on the details. We get so focused on, on the, the minutia. We get so focused on, on figuring out exactly what happened that we missed the big picture. We get so focused on what's, what's going on right in front of us that we miss what's all around us. Now, in Jonah, I don't know if he was swallowed by a whale. I don't know if he was swallowed by a great fish. I don't know if a, a, a largemouth bass ended up swallowing this guy. I don't know. And, and, to, and honestly, that's not really the important part of the story to me. That's not really what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is I think the point of the story is for us to identify with Jonah. It's for us to see ourselves as Jonah. To let the story in. To let the story kind of mess with us a little bit. And over the next four weeks and over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be looking at this. And my challenge to you is maybe just step away from some of those legitimate questions that you may have about Jonah and let Jonah in. Let this story kind of come in and see what happens. Uh, last week, 
Paul was up here and he kind of gave you a little preview about the story. And he told you that, that Jonah's name means dove. And he kind of talked about how that's like the least masculine, least intimidating name you can possibly imagine. That, that dove is, is, is what Jonah is known as. Now, names in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, are not arbitrary. They have some meaning. They kind of give us a clue as to the identity of, of folks. And so Jonah's name is Dove. And uh, I, I heard that, I immediately thought of a story. In college, you know, you don't go shopping. You just go home and take stuff. And so in college, I ran out of soap. And so I went home and I, and I took some soap. And so I, I, I come back to college and I took the soap out of the little carton and I, I placed that box next to my towel because right there on the ledge outside the shower. And I'm in the shower and I'm in there and all of a sudden, I start hearing somebody laughing out in the, in the rest of the bathroom. And I come out, and, and two of the guys on my hall are standing there holding the box, making fun of me for using girl soap, because I was using dove soap. And so when we think about dove, we don't think of, of masculinity, we don't think of, of toughness, we don't think of confrontation. We think of a fluttering white bird or, or that pink soap that your mom uses that you use when you run out of your own. And so, so dove doesn't exactly conjure up these images. But that's exactly who Jonah was. Uh, dove, the, uh, a dove is also kind of connected with, with God's presence. When Noah is in the ark and the, the waters have receded, and he's trying to figure out if it's safe to go out. He sends out a raven, the raven, the raven comes right back, and, and finally he sends out a dove, and the dove comes back with an olive branch. He takes this as a sign to say that it's safe to go out. In the New Testament, we see that when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water. It says that God's Spirit descend, descends on him like a dove. So dove may not be the most manly or most masculine image we can picture, but it's definitely, definitely associated with God's presence. So when we think about Jonah, we think about this guy who gets this incredible mission. We think about a guy who's, who's rather uh, peaceful, uh, but also very connected to God. We can, picture, we, can, uh, we can kind of piece together that Jonah is a prophet before all this stuff with the whale happens. We can kind of picture to get, piece together that, that Jonah is a guy that's connected to God, that's known for this, and is kind of established as it. And so Jonah, this guy whose name means dove, his dad, dad's name means truth, Jonah, the son of truth, the dove, has a pretty good life. It's, it's relatively easy to assume that Jonah is well-known, that he's popular, that people like him, and that he has things kind of mapped out and kind of planned. But all that changes when God calls him to something. And if you're taking notes, this is kind of the the first point that I really want to make sure that we hear. God is calling you to something, so don't be surprised. God is going to ask something of you. When we say call, sometimes we can associate some some very mystical, very deep, you know, you you lock yourself in a room for quiet for 40 days, you don't talk to anyone, and you, you have this weird vision. It's not nearly that complicated. God's call is what God is asking you to do with your life. And I believe that God is always asking us to do something. And so God calls. God makes an ask of Jonah. But Jonah is surprised and he can't handle it. Now this call, this ask might be scary, might be daunting, might be surprising. But it always brings you closer to God when you follow it, when you listen to it. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 1. And in these four weeks, we're going to take a look at this very short book, and we're going to read, I believe we're going to read just about every verse in the book. And so we're going to start right there in verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh 
and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So here we have Jonah, this prophet, this guy who's used to hearing God's voice, gets a very clear, a very direct message from God. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes in my life, I wish God was that clear, that he would tell me exactly where to go, when to do it, how to do it. This happens to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Go to a very specific place. And what do you do there? You preach against it. You go there and you tell them that what they're doing is wrong. You do what a prophet does. You show up in a place. You point out the fact that these people are off. These people are not following God. And then you start pointing them to the right direction. So Jonah was being asked to do something he had done before. Jonah's being asked to go to a city, to go to a place and preach against it. And begin to preach God's, God's word. And so, but the problem starts to break down. The, the problem uh, quickly, quickly breaks down. Jonah would have been very familiar with the Assyrians. The, the Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He would have been very, very convinced. They, you heard this last week when Paul talked that the Assyrians were, these were some bad dudes. These guys were so known for conquest, so known for their violence, so known for just their armies that when there was a threat of an army coming to a town or a city, that it wasn't uncommon for people in that city just to commit mass, mass suicide, just to end their lives right then and there. And so the Assyrians had a reputation. The Assyrians had a, had a kind of a, um, a stigma that kind of rolled with them that was not good. And where, where Jonah lived, he would have been right on the border. He would have been right on the frontier between Nineveh and Jerusalem. He would have been right smack dab in the middle. And so anytime the Assyrians kind of rolled in, anytime they invaded, they would go right through Jonah's hometown with all their power. And so Jonah knows the Assyrians, and he immediately starts to, starts to, starts to refuse. He starts to back away from what God's calling him to do. Now, we see this other times where prophets of God are given a message. They're given a plan to say, go do this. And we see that these prophets argue. But the dove, Jonah doesn't argue. The dove just runs. We see that Moses, he'll, he'll stand by the burning bush and argue with God. We'll see other times in the Bible where people will resist. But Jonah doesn't do that. You know, maybe, you, uh, maybe in your life or in my life, as I think about it, when God calls me to something... I will, I will disagree uh, with God and I'll kind of try to offer an alternative. God, I don't want to do this, but maybe I'll do that. Or maybe I'll just kind of ignore the situation. I'll just pretend it didn't happen and go on living my life. Uh, maybe I'll try to rationalize not doing it. I'll say, well, that just doesn't line up with the plan that I thought you'd laid out before me, God. That doesn't line up with my strengths, my gifts, whatever it is. We kind of try to argue or work our way around God's plan. And we try to do it in a non-confrontational way. But Jonah takes us to a whole nother level and just takes off running. The dove doesn't want to talk. He just runs. And he doesn't just run anywhere. He runs in a very intentional way. See, Jonah ran to Joppa. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is to the northeast. Joppa is to the southwest. And so this would be like you guys planning a trip, and you're going to take a weekend trip to Michigan. But there on Friday afternoon, as you're all packed up, loaded to go, you decide to take the scenic route through Alabama. It just doesn't make any sense why Jonah would do this. But Jonah absolutely goes the opposite direction from where he was supposed to go. And so Jonah goes to Joppa, this Phoenician town, this town of foreigners who are very, very comfortable in the water. Phoenicians are, are, are descendants of Greeks. They're, they're related to the Greeks, so they're very comfortable out in the ocean, on the Mediterranean Sea. 
This is, this is very natural to them. There's not a lot of examples of people in the Old Testament on a boat. It just, it just doesn't happen very often. And so Jonah is, is completely running away from what God has, has in store for him. And, and when he gets to Joppa, he doesn't just happen on a boat. He doesn't take somebody's spot at the last time. No, he pays his fare. He takes intentional steps to run from God. Because we never just fall into disobedience. We never just fall into sin. We always make choices leading up to that. We may get to a point where we feel like we have no choice, where we feel like we're just completely cornered, completely pressured into something. But if we look back, there were choices that led up to that. And that's where Jonah's at. He didn't fall into this boat. He paid his way on. He made the conscious decision. So he heads to Tarshish. Well, where's Tarshish? Tarshish is a, is a little trading colony in a country you may have heard of called Spain. So, so Jonah is going from, the, from Israel, from the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way over to the western edge of the Mediterranean Sea, to the Atlantic Ocean, to Spain. And so Jonah is taking a year-long journey, 180 degrees away from what God has called him to do. Jonah is running in the most extreme way he can possibly imagine. And here's the deal. When God calls us to something, there will always be a boat headed in the opposite direction. There will always be another opportunity. There will always be a way for us to cop out of this. And God just tells us, you can always say no. You always have that option to, to run from God. God doesn't force you to do anything. God doesn't make you do anything. God always gives us a way out. It's not because he, he, he wants us to take that way out. It's not because he thinks that way out's better, but it's because he wants us to be able to make our own decisions. And so one of the key themes, key themes of Jonah is that we can run from God. Now, in the middle of that running from God, God may send a storm. God may send a storm in our lives. We talked about this in the Hope series a few weeks ago. That in those storms, we may get the, the perspective that we need. Uh, because in those times is when we really understand what God was doing for us. But we can always say no. And Jonah decides to say no. We're going to continue the story uh, in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. All the, sailors, uh, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? But they already knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. How many of you guys out here watch, watch Deadliest Catch? The show on Discovery Channel, the crab fishermen. These guys are, are out in the middle of the Bering Sea like from like November to like March. And they're, and they're fishing for crab. And the whole idea of the show is that, that by the square footage of their workspace, it's like the most concentrated, dangerous job you could ever have. And so these guys are out for like, I don't know, 50-hour stretches or something crazy like that. They never sleep. They're just running on coffee and Red Bull and cigarettes. And, and they're out in these, these 20-foot swells, and it's, it's blowing sideways. It's just, it's just like crazy. Well, that, that's really my only, like, 
basis for understanding what it means to be in a storm in the ocean. And maybe you have some understanding of this, but whenever every now and then there's a problem where alarms start going off on that show, they're taking on water, whatever it is, they're, they're afraid they might go down, immediately guys start scrambling. And they, they, they go and put their survival suits on and they take measures to, to make sure they're safe and that they can survive this. And, and here in Jonah we see a story where all these sailors are panicking. All these pagan sailors are calling out to their gods, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to make the storm go away. And Jonah, the dove, in the middle of this panic, goes down below into his room, closes the door, and goes to bed. Jonah has a death wish. Jonah is ready to be done. Jonah wants nothing more of this life. And so we see this picture where, where Jonah is, is laying in bed and, and, and the captain comes down and says, what are you doing? You have to come out and help us. What have you done? Call out to your God. Do something. Just get out of bed. And, and he can barely do that. He can barely even, even come to tell them what's going on. He can barely tell them what, what it is that, that's really uh, going on in his life to the point where he is even able to speak the problem, but he's not able to take steps not able to take steps to, to fix it. Because Jonah has put qualifiers on what God is, is going to do for his life. Jonah has said, God, I will do this, but I won't do that. And as, as God has called Jonah to this and has messed with his life to such an extreme that all he wants to do is go lay in bed. Everything in his world is coming crashing down and all he wants to do is go to bed because he's put qualifiers on God. Maybe you've done this. I know I have. I've told God many a times, God, I'm only going to do this. Or I won't do that. And, and in college, I told God that I would get into ministry. That I would do paid ministry, and that's, that's where I'm supposed to be, and that's where I'll go. But God, I'm only familiar with the suburbs. I'm only familiar with, with the suburban town lifestyle. I really, that's all I really know. And so, God, it wouldn't make sense for you to send me to, to an inner city. And it definitely, definitely, definitely wouldn't make sense for you to send me to a rural community. And so, and so God um, has a sense of humor. And God sent me to the town of Mawequa, Illinois. And I'm sure you've heard of Mawequa. It's a big town of 2,000 right in the middle of Illinois. And uh, it's, it's pretty much surrounded on four sides by cornfields. And Mawequa, Illinois, doesn't even have a stoplight, okay? It doesn't even have a stoplight. And so the main drag going through town, north and south, is Main Street. You know, pretty, pretty understandable. That would be called Main Street. But if you were to walk down to the four-way stop, uh, not, not a stoplight, just a four-way stop in the center of town, the north-south road intersects with an east-west road, and this east-west road is also called Main Street. And so you can walk down and stand at the corner of Main and Main. It's kind of like the nexus of the universe. There's like a black hole there. It's, it's just like, it's boom right there. And so God, God said, you know what, Josh? You can put qualifiers on things, but I'm going to send you there to this weird small town that, that whoever planned it didn't really think things through. And, and, and you're going to learn about corn, and you're going to learn about combines, and, and you're going you're gonna to deal with, with kids who wear, wear cowboy boots and, and camo hats and drive four-wheelers more than they drive their truck. And so that's where God sent me. But in that moment, where God took me out of the context I was comfortable, where God took me out of the place where I thought I would be best suited, that's where God taught me the most. See, when God calls us, when He stretches us and pushes us to a place that maybe we don't want to go to, that's the place where we often learn the most. That's the place where we often realize what it means to rely on God. And that is what God is doing with Jonah here. God is asking Jonah to find a way to rely on him, to lean on him. 
But Jonah's given up. Jonah has, has been able to speak the fact that he's off base with God. He's able to tell these pagan sailors, this is the reality, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, and this is why this is happening. And, and he's able to say that, but he's not able to do anything about it. He still can't do anything to stop it. The story continues in verse 11. In verse 11, it, it starts this, this, uh, this, this kind of continuing story. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea, the sea calm down for us? And Jonah replied, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah still has this death wish to the point where he tells these pagan sailors, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Kill me. This is, this is for the best. Now, when we read a lot of Old Testament stories, or really any stories in the Bible, the heroes are usually the people following God. We expect that the prophets are the guys that speak truth, that live right, the ones that do the right thing when things are going the worst. But in this story, it's the exact opposite. It's not Jonah who's the hero, it's the pagan sailors. It's the pagan sailors who were first calling out to their gods, lowercase g, and, 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 and trying to figure out what was wrong who go and delay throwing Jonah overboard, who give Jonah all kinds of opportunities to repent, to turn around, who then eventually say, start calling out to God or to the Lord, calling out to the God of the Hebrew Bible, our God, the Lord, and eventually make, make oaths and sacrifices to him. It's the pagan sailors that are the heroes. It's Jonah who's the, the dove, who's, who's kind of a wimp and gets thrown overboard because he doesn't know what else to do. And so... Here, as we look at this whole story, we see Jonah just willing to give up. Jonah not doing anything on the boat to to change the situation. Not being a prophet. Not telling these pagan sailors about God. And even though he does nothing, even though he is completely disobedient, God still uses him. See, God doesn't need our hearts, doesn't even need our obedience to get his work done. God doesn't need us. We kind of have this assumption that that if we don't participate, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It's kind of an arrogant, prideful deal. But God doesn't need us. It's, it's, it's absolutely 100% God doesn't need us. The God who created gravity, the God who created mountains, the God who created your kids, just doesn't need your 10%. Just doesn't need, doesn't need your week at Haiti, a week down in Haiti out of the year. He doesn't need this stuff to bring about goodness in, in this world. He doesn't need this stuff to bring about his kingdom. He, he doesn't need it, but he chooses to partner with us. Because when we, res, when we resist, when we kind of run from God, it's not God is missing out, it's us. And Jonah believes that he is the key to the whole thing. Jonah believes that he's the, the central part. So when I come to the end of this chapter, 
And I look at this whole thing. I see Jonah running. I see Jonah resisting. I see Jonah giving up. I keep coming back to this one question. Well, why did Jonah run in the first place? Why in the world would he even even choose to do this? Well, why do we run? Why do we run in our lives? Is it because we don't know what's around the corner? We run because we're afraid of the unknown. We resist God. We we don't follow God because we don't know what's going to happen down the road. But Jonah knew about the Assyrians. He was not obviously not very uncomfortable around pagans because he gets on a boat full of them. He, he can't claim that he was ignorant about God because he's the son of truth and he's a prophet. I think Jonah runs because Jonah had arrived. Jonah had, had kind of reached this point where he was in the right family, he had the right job, his life was going in the right direction, he was known, he was popular, everything was taken care of. Jonah was set, but Jonah was ready to give up. Jonah felt like he had put in the work and didn't need to do anything else. In, in, our, in our high school connection group, we've been talking about Paul. We've been reading the book of Philippians together. We've been talking about Paul, this guy who had gone through every hardship imaginable and who at the point of writing Philippians was near the end of his life, under house arrest, could be executed any day. Like, it's just a mess. But Paul, this guy who deserved to give up, Paul who had earned a break, Paul who had earned retirement, doesn't give up and keeps writing letters. Jonah gives up. Jonah believes that he was owed something. Jonah wasn't on board with God's plan. You know, I've heard this said multiple times by different people in different church circles where they'll say, you know, it's time for someone else to serve. It's time for someone else to step up and and work in the nursery. It's time for someone else to step up and serve coffee in the cafe. It's time for someone else to do that. And you know, they're right. It it probably is time. There is a point where where we kind of get in a routine where we just show up on Sunday morning and, and we don't really contribute any way else. But that doesn't mean that that person who's currently serving is owed a break. That doesn't mean that person who's currently serving has earned time off. I think there's place for rest. Obviously, there's place for time off. But it's not like you put in your time and then all of a sudden you start collecting a pension. That's just that's not how this works. Like there's no there's no point where we've done enough. There's no point where God says, and then once you've done this, you can go on vacation for the rest of your life. There's no point where God God says that. And so. And so Jonah is believing that lie. Because Jonah had made plans. Jonah had kind of made some self-centered plans to the point where he, he kind of lost track of God's plan. And, and I was, as I was getting ready for this, this, uh, this sermon, uh, a story of someone in our congregation uh, came to mind. And uh, her name's Carmen Oswald. And Carmen has just finished her sophomore year at Anderson last spring. And if you would have asked me in between my sophomore and junior year of college what I was going to do to change the world that summer, I would have just said, oh, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea what I was going to do. But Carmen this summer um, completely is on board with God's call, even though it's incredibly scary. But uh, I want to read you this, this, uh, this letter from Carmen that's talking about what she's going to be doing. She says, I worked at a camp in Kansas this summer, and the theme was following Jesus. Every week I heard stories about Jesus calling the disciples and what it looks like to live that out in our lives. Every week I journaled about how I wanted to follow Him, and I was willing to go wherever He called me. And then, about halfway through the summer, He called me to leave my family, friends, school, and possessions behind for 11 months to go on the world race. I will be living out of a backpack for the next year, going to 11 different countries and serving the kingdom. The World Race is this, this really cool organization where they, you, just, you go around, you literally go country to country, and you serve people, and you tell them about Jesus. It's, a, it's an awesome program. She continues with her story. 
throughout the process of applying, getting accepted, and going to training camp, there were moments when I was greatly, when I was greatly excited about this opportunity. There were other times, though, where I questioned God's plan and His idea for what my life should look like. After all, I was supposed to go to school for four years, finish my degree, and then maybe do some mission work. Taking time off school was not exactly what I had in mind. God is showing me, though, that His ways are typically upside down from the world's. But the reward that comes from seeking His face is so great. There are still times when I realize the reality of what I am about to do, and my stomach clenches and I cry because I don't want to leave everything I have worked for and the people that love me. But then, God reminds me that His Son did it for me and that He is in control over everything that happens to me. See, if, if, if Carmen had been like Jonah and gotten so focused on, on her plans, on his plans, that, that he would have missed, that she would have missed God's call. Jonah was so focused on his future, was so focused on his plans that he missed it. And, and maybe you're like Jonah. Maybe you kind of fall into this category where your plans are all laid out. You feel like you've arrived. You feel that you have put in the time and you're owed something now. And maybe legitimately you have done a lot of great stuff and you have accomplished it accomplished quite a bit. But I don't think you're owed a thing. I don't think that God owes us anything. But so often we fall into the trap of believing that. And maybe like we're like Jonah and we're running. We're running from what God's calling us to do. And, and as I'm talking about this this morning, there's that one thing that keeps creeping up in your heart and in your mind and you keep resisting and say, God, I don't want to do that. I refuse to do that. That's, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And I can't do it. And you would be right. It is crazy. It is ridiculous. And you can't do it. Because you can only do this thing that God's calling you to do with God. You can't do it on your own. And perhaps it's exactly what He's teaching you to do. And so that last blank on your notes. God is asking me to do what? God is asking me to what? What is that in your life? What is that thing that you've been running from? What is that thing that you've been resisting? You know, this might be a a big thing. This might mean a different career path. This might mean quitting your job. This might mean moving. This might mean, I don't know what. Maybe it's ending a relationship. Whatever it is. This might be something big. But this also might be just staying put. This might also be realizing that you're right where you're supposed to be and finding contentment with that and saying that this is the job I need to stay at. That this is the, this is the way I can love my family by staying home with them. That this is the way that I can love my family that when I get home, I'm fully present. That I'm not going to allow other things to ruin my time with my kids. That I'm not going to allow other things to come in here on Sunday morning and mess with me. That I'm going to quit running from God with all those distractions and decide that I need to be present. Maybe you need to allow God to mess with your life a bit. Maybe you need to allow that blank to sit there for a while. That you need God, you need to allow God to ask you some tough questions. Because ultimately, when God makes that ask, When God calls you to something, it will be difficult. It will be challenging. But when you resist what God is calling you to do, you miss out. God doesn't need you. God chooses you. He can do it on His own. But He's decided to invite you in. And so that call, that ask, that invitation, whatever it might be, is for your benefit. It's for you. It's a gift. Stop running from it. Maybe, maybe it's you're running from God Himself. 
that you've never been able to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. That you've never been able to say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That I do believe that He says who He says He was. That I do believe He died on the cross and that three days later He walked out living and breathing and alive. That I do believe that the Holy Spirit lives in Christians and and, and that works in them and and, and guides them in, in some weird, mysterious, incredible way. Maybe you've been running from this fact. And maybe this morning is the time where you decide you're going to stop running and you're going to turn around and you're going to run to the cross. And you're going to allow God in. Because this morning, I think we're all a little bit like Jonah. And that when we resist, it's us who miss out. You pray with me.